Hi and welcome to Detox Talks the Detox a podcast where we talk to some of the world's finest leaders about their detox rituals and how they maintain continuity in a world of noise and chaos how they make sure that the criticism that the world puts on them doesn't affect their insight and they still continue to perform as well as they do thanks for tuning in this is kanal chandirmani and you are listening to Detox Talks the Detox We have Matthew Maynard on the podcast. Matthew is the founder of Very Nice, a global creative agency working with some of the biggest names on the planet. He's on the creative advisory board for Mayor Garcetti of Los Angeles and is also the director of challenge-based learning at the University of Southern California. Thank you so much for joining. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I I'm so excited to be here. So before we go right in, what's your story been like? There's so many different angles of your journey. What's your journey been like overall beyond one role? Yeah, you know, I think for me a lot of my story starts way back when I was in high school actually. You know, around around that time I was skateboarding competitively actually. So I was uh, you know, going to competitions, I was training in skate parks and I had met the founder of a nonprofit organization actually at an at a skate park. And this was when I was, you know, maybe 15 or 16 years old, and I became really interested in the work of nonprofits ever since then. Was very motivated and just inspired by, you know, somebody that presented themselves as so mission driven. You know, that was something that I really wanted to be. And I think that that has been, you know, a through line in a lot of my work. Um based on that connection, I started doing more freelance kind of graphic design work, pro bono graphic design work for nonprofit organizations. I eventually started Very Nice, which focuses heavily on that by giving half of its work away for free to nonprofit organizations. I got into the field of education to teach and to make, you know, design and creativity and innovation just more accessible to others. So, it really all kind of stems with that, the sort of passion for making creativity and innovation more accessible for others um and being able to just do meaningful work that, you know, really can have some kind of impact, not maybe on the entire world, but on a world is the way that I like to think of it, you know, being able to really help a certain organization or a certain population with the skills that i you know bring to the table what's been the process like i think what we say would be some of those dinner time stories the dinner table stories that really make up your journey i like to look at life as like a straight line with a couple turns and the turns however red they might be they are really what define us and they make the best stories nevertheless So what do you say couple of those dinner table stories? Oh yeah, you know there's so many of them. I think from the moment that I started very nice, you know, I was I was actually only 19 years old when I started this company and there was a lot of you know maybe you could call it imposter syndrome for me and in one of the stories that I always think back at is I had these aspirations to work on these projects but I didn't have experience, right? I was a kid. Um And so a lot of, you know, my early days were spent convincing people to give me opportunities, you know, to kind of tr- try me out. Let me let me do this work. Let me kind of prove that I can do this. And so what that ended up turning into is while I was in college, I had done, you know, volunteer sort of design work, web development work, all of this kind of services that I I did early on. 
um, for almost 20 different student groups on, on the UCLA campus. That's where I went to college. And in doing that, you know, I think I learned a lot of valuable lessons. I learned that I'm not good at everything. <laughs> so I learned, you know, that there are certain sort of types of projects that maybe I'm personally a better fit for. I learned that I need to involve other collaborators in the process as well, that you can't do everything alone, actually, um, that you can benefit from the experience of others. And, and so many more lessons, you know, I, I think from there, really, where where I landed was trying to build a community that could be of support of this mission, you know, this mission of making, again, design and creativity and innovation just more accessible to others, especially nonprofit organizations. So, you know, being able to put that sort of message out there and actually have strangers reach out to me, you know, and say, hey, I'd like to be a part of this. I'm really interested in volunteering. Um, how can I do that? Was one of the most sort of satisfying moments of my life, right? Like this is this kind of story of just starting and thinking I'm here alone in this journey. You know, I have to figure out how to how to do all of this work, what what my worth even is, what kind of value I provide. And meanwhile, others are seeing the value in it that I wasn't and were wanting to, you know, take part in that journey as well. So really nothing that I'm doing today could have happened if it wasn't for some of those early moments, you know, of, of then being able to kind of grow the business, work with all of my dream clients, you know, go on to teach this work to a new generation of people at USC. Um, so I'm really grateful for that journey. When you were jumping in for the first time, taking up so much volunteer work, and even later when you were deciding behind uh, Barry Nice's philosophy around giving back half, what was the self-talk? So, you know, I think part of this was really like what I was kind of telling myself. It was what is the actual problem that I'm trying to solve here? Uh, you know, and this was something that I really wrestled with that I actually see a lot, and you might see this a lot too with, with young entrepreneurs. They have this idea that they want to kind of put out into the world and sort of create. Um, but a lot of times that idea is sort of emulating something that already exists, right? It's like, oh, Facebook is really cool. I want to create my own version of Facebook. Or, oh, I would like to create an app too, right? So a lot of this kind of starts, and a lot of what I was talking to myself about in those early days, and this is even before Very Nice, just the earliest days of knowing I wanted to come up with some kind of idea and be an entrepreneur was, you know, why am I do, why am I interested in this? You know, why am I pursuing this? I think you know, from a fairly young age, I was, I was fairly mature in, in that, you know, tendency of really trying to pursue something that was authentic to my own, you know, beliefs and, and passion and, and morals and, and all of that. And, you know, ultimately learned that nonprofit organizations in the United States alone spend close to $8 billion a year on people like me, you know, on sort of design strategy, you know, marketing professionals. And when I learned that, you know, again, at, at this kind of very young age, I realized, okay, I don't want to create a design firm. I want to, I want to solve that problem. I want to have a new model that could allow these organizations to reinvest some of those $8 billion, you know, maybe even save a fraction of that 
into their cause so that they can create more impact in the world. And it all just clicked from there, you know, to be honest. And again, I think what I was kind of talking to myself about in that whole process was, okay, let's, let's not focus on the shiny object or the outcome quite yet. Let's find a problem that we genuinely care about, right? And let's, let's then figure out what to do about it from there. I, I love that. I think it's so like normally whenever we think about impact or creating a change, it's always like, what can I do to create a change? But it's so, it's like a totally different angle thinking about what can you do to enable others in this case, the not-for-profits to create a change? Yeah, absolutely. It was kind of a humbling discovery for me, to be honest, that uh, I think I think still a lot of my earlier messaging rubbed the the industry the wrong way because it was a truly disruptive way of thinking about the design services industry and that was my my aha moment of you know what our work is really valuable you know people need this kind of work for sure organizations need this kind of work but it's just not as important as the work that these organizations are trying to do for the people that they serve and so the biggest way i can make an impact is maybe not through the work I'm doing, but through the work that I'm not charging them for. <laughs> and that was such an aha moment. Again, I think was a pretty disruptive concept. You know, this was launched in 2008 uh, and was a time where a, a lot of the design community was very focused on um, not working for free or not doing what's what's referred to as spec work. So this would be um, speculative work, right? Like work that's done before there's kind of some uh, arranged deal of, of an agreement or anything like that. And here I was this kid saying, hey, we should all work for free. <laughs> so, so, but, you know, I had this kind of feeling of being drunk with purpose. That's the way I like to think of it. I, I felt like I really landed on something and I needed to do this and I needed to tell people about it. So I think like there's so much in that moment, especially as, as a young person going out there and going against an industry convention. What was that like? Like just standing up against all that? You know, I often have felt in my life like the, the David and Goliath kind of story. Um, you know, even to this day, uh, Very Nice is often bidding, you know, against some of the biggest consulting firms in the world for some of these projects. And, and we're just this tiny little dot on, on the earth. So, um, it, you know, honestly, I can say, and this kind of goes to the theme of, of your podcast, it was pretty stressful. Um, and I don't know if I noticed that uh, for several years, to be honest, right? Like, I think it was... Uh, this maybe this stubbornness maybe this this concept of being drunk with purpose uh you know that i was just referring to but there was just no one that supported this idea um it was not a popular idea at all within the industry and i remember i would have these opportunities again i was just this little kid uh you know to write these uh kind of op-eds um you know, about the model and things like that. And man, the, the comments in those were so nasty uh, of people just telling, you know, basically telling again, this kid, hey, this idea is stupid. Like, what are you talking about? Right. And for whatever reason, and I cannot, I can't quite figure it out, but for whatever reason, I did not let that bother me. And I kept going. 
Um, and I, I'm actually very proud of my younger self for doing that because eventually it caught on and it made sense, you know, and I was able to find that, that story and that message that could, you know, convince people that this actually is not only a, a, a practical idea, actually, even though it seems so impractical, it's kind of a, a necessity, you know, and, and that we can all um, be better if we can support the organizations that are making us better. When you were in that moment, taking that leap of faith, taking that leap against an industry convention, and especially getting in all those comments, all that stress building up, what is the process to get out of it, not let it become so overwhelming that you can't really uh, focus on, on the real bigger picture, the thing that can prove everyone wrong? What was the process personally for you to get out of all that inflow of comments, CTC coming in all at you, industry convention being thrown uh, and yeah, all that rigid barriers you were passing through. How were you able to detox out of that to still be able to do it? So, so I would say in the in these early days, because this this probably what I'm describing of, you know, facing a lot of kind of pushback or or people that were naysayers. Let's say right, um, that was probably for the first year or two. You know, I would say so. This was. This was not a short amount of time. It also wasn't the longest amount of time. And so for those, for that kind of chapter, you know, for those first couple of years, I think that what really helped me was to really just focus on all of the BS aside, right? What have I actually accomplished here? You know, I'm saying that this is really important. I'm saying that we should support organizations in this way. You know, what have I actually accomplished? What have I actually been able to do for these organizations? And so for me, I think a way of detoxing from that was actually asking that question to the organizations I was supporting. Um, and I will always remember, you know, because this has actually happened several times in my career. We had launched a website for this nonprofit, uh, really amazing organization that was based in New York City. And, you know, I, I called the executive director to let them know, hey, it's live. You know, I walked them through it. This was a brand new organization that she had always dreamed to do. And she cried on the phone, you know, as we're walking through this. And I have to say, there's not a lot of moments in this industry where your client will cry out of happiness on the phone. <laughs> you know, that doesn't, that doesn't really happen in, you know, in this kind of design and strategy world. And, you know, in that moment, I was actually, I was still, I was a senior in college when that happened. And, and again, this has happened several times, you know, I just felt like, God, yeah, I feel like I'm doing something that is genuinely useful. And if no one else wants to believe that, you know, and they just want to kind of protect and think about themselves, let them do that, right? I, I just really made a difference for this person and that's all that I need, right? Like, you know, forget the, the comments or anything like that. Um, I, I remember that being a very powerful moment for me. Um, I think, you know, moving forward, what was nice was the, again, you know, I don't think it was necessarily this big change in the industry. I think it was more, I just got better at communicating what I meant. You know, I think as a young man, you know, kind of, putting this message out into the world again, when I was like 19, 20 years old, I, I just don't think that I was communicating, you know, as well as I could have been. 
And that might've been part of the pushback potentially. And so, you know, really finding my story, um, getting traction with this, working with more and more organizations, all of that sort of made that process easier for sure. So taking a leap from there to today, uh, today when you come across barriers that tend to get as overwhelming and as questioning, even today, what you started back then is still as disruptive as it was. What's your detox for that? What I've really found is that the biggest roadblock today compared to back then is actually myself. You know, I think back then I was my biggest champion, you know, literally. I, you know, I, I really believed in myself. I was young, I was naive, you know, I, again, drunk with purpose, right? And now, now I'm older, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years almost, um, and, or I guess 14, 15 years, something like that. I, I do think that it's, it's myself that stands in my way more than others at this point. Um, I do think that the COVID era had a lot to do with that because, you know, I think like with a lot of people, uh, it, I really struggled through that, uh, you know, in terms of with mental health and so on. And in that, I do feel like had a, you know, a negative effect on my own sort of confidence in myself, which sounds so ironic because I am so much more accomplished than that 19 year old version of myself. You know, I have so much more that I can actually say that I've done. I, I feel like for, for a while there, I'm still, you know, wrestling with this, not as much as I was the last couple of years. I had never felt less confident in myself. So, so that was kind of an interesting thing. And, and, you know, to detox from that, what that's tended to look like is actually trying to pick up new hobbies, um, you know, that can, uh, bring meaning, you know, as well that diversify maybe the meaning and the interests in my life. Um, so I've gotten really into, uh, you know, kind of revisiting childhood love for, for, for not only collecting comics, but, but writing and drawing them, you know, that's something that means a lot to me. Um, during the pandemic, my wife had twins I used to say my wife and I, but I, I didn't have them, <laughs> um, uh, you know, had twins. And, and so being a father, you know, and trying to be successful at that is, I think, something that is really challenging and probably needs its own detox, <laughs> to be honest, but is, uh, is also a really great, uh, you know, kind of new goal to be working towards as well. That specific phase, that transition, it's just so natural, but so unexpected, the way you look at yourself while growing up or while just getting more experience. Yeah, it's true. You know, I think it's, it's interesting. It's something I've been thinking about more and more lately is the stakes are so different at different stages of life. And, and I feel like you know, people tell you this when you're young, right? And you kind of don't believe them. <laughs> um, where, where it's like, oh, this is, these are going to be some of the best years. Like you, you know, you don't have so much responsibility. You know, people say that and you're like, what are you talking about? I have tests tomorrow. I have to study for it. <laughs> um, but it's so true. You know, I, I think, you, I think it's, it's so true that your own, you know, perception of, of yourself or of what, what is safe or what is right to be doing um, drastically changes as the years go on. Um, I think, you know, part of this is also, I've now, you know, worked with at least a thousand clients at this point on just so many projects. And there is very little in my field that I haven't seen 
And I think that what that has done is a couple of things. You know, one of those, if I'm being honest, it's not as exciting, right? Like when you're just starting out and you're like, what would it be like to do this kind of project, right? Um, I, I still love it. I still find it exciting, but I can't say it's as exciting as that first two years, right? I think the other thing is when you've seen more, you become far more aware of the things that can go wrong. And, and I do think that that plays a role in, in kind of shifting your perspective on how you approach, you know, a project or, or a relationship or anything like that as well. That's, that's so deep. The beauty of it is how counterintuitive and unexpected it is. Yeah, it is. It's true. I think that a lot of the best things that happen in life, though, are counterintuitive. <laughs> um, you know, I think I, I think that that gets me to, you know, another kind of interesting topic around this idea of detoxing is a lot of times we need to detox because we've been toxed, sort of the perception of what we should be in the world. And it is something I talk to my students a lot about, uh, you know, when they ask like, oh, what, you know, what is something we should watch out for? Or what's advice? Like, what do you wish you knew when you were our age? You know, I get those kinds of questions a lot. Um, and it is that I wish that I knew that just as my business or my kind of idea for the world was up to me to define that the success of that business is also up to me to define. Because uh, I, I do have to say, I think a lot of the talks, let's just run with it. <laughs> I think that that works. A lot of the talks that we receive in the world, um, TOX, <laughs> is, is uh, you know, out of comparing ourselves to others or out of second guessing who we should be based off of other, you know, outcomes that we've seen, as opposed to actually just asking ourselves, what do we want to become? And I think in, in a lot of ways, the detox process is, is perhaps about, you know, that kind of reflection or looking inward, right? And, and thinking, what, what, why am I doing this? You know, what is making me happy? Um, you know, what, what, et cetera, like, right? Like, how can I kind of get better at, at learning that? And, and again, kind of looking inward instead of reflecting uh, outward, if that makes sense. So what would you say was the biggest talks you faced? I feel like there's there's been several in my career. You know, I think one of them uh, was early on, uh, you know, I was very fixated on for this business to be successful, I need to have, you know, this big team, the, this fancy office, these big name clients, you know, all of this stuff. And at some point, not to the extent that some others have accomplished, but, but I did get all of that. And I realized I wasn't happy. Actually, we, we weren't necessarily working on projects that felt fulfilling to me. You know, if I'm being honest, um, a lot of what my day-to-day -day role looked like wasn't really what I thought I would be doing either. That was a big moment for me. Cause it was kind of like, wow, I achieved the success that I thought I wanted, but it turns out I didn't really think about what that would have been like. You know, I was kind of going off of movies <laughs> or, or friends who owned businesses or things like that. And okay, well, that's what you do, you know? And so, so I think that that was a big one for me to face. And I faced it very slowly, um, actually. And I, it, it started with a reflection of what's the kind of work that I want to be doing. I want to be proud of everything that we're doing. What kind of services should we have? 
mean, there was this slow process of actually phasing out a lot of the visual design work that I thought that I used to love to do uh, and replacing that with more of this kind of strategic thinking for organizations. So slowly over the course of several years, we, uh, you know, we started that process of trying to become more known for strategy work, less known for design work. And that's what we are now, which is great. So, you know, it was kind of this, again, slow but intentional process. And it's a great example of that big talks being myself, actually, you know, this was all self-inflicted um, reality that I had found myself in that, again, I, I just honestly was not fulfilled by. Overall today, like there are so many different roles that you take up, whether it is on an academic angle or it is uh, being on the, on the advisory board for the mayor or it is running the business. So many different roles and each of them have their own responsibilities and their own angles. What would you say are a couple of things you personally use to detox out of one to focus on the other? You know, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And people uh, have brought this up about me for, for a while because there's never been an instance in my life where I didn't have more than one hat on. Um, and people are always like, how do you do this? You know, how do you manage all of this? How do you manage your time? Like all of this stuff. And part of my answer is, well, this is just how it's always been. So it's kind of like all I know, you know, I, I think a, a good analogy here is when we had twins, um, you know, people are like, wow, how did you, how do you manage two kids? And we're like, well, we've, we've never had one kid. <laughs> it's just, it's just what it is. Right. Um, and so, you know, for me, I think the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that I've done that I feel like has set me up for being able to hold so many different sort of hats in my day to day are really two things, you know, one, realizing that I'm doing that not to try to have some robust resume, you know, solely, but because I actually find that I thrive wearing multiple hats that is not for everyone, but it is for me. Like it's something that works really well for me. And again, it kind of helps me thrive. Um, the other thing is that while they're different hats, they are all very connected and all rely upon each other. So uh, I think the best example of this is my practice, very nice, and my teaching at USC. What I teach my kids at USC is literally what I do for my clients. So I teach them these same methodologies. I teach them about the business of design strategy by literally bringing up an agreement that I wrote the week before, you know, so these things, they really feed off of each other. And I think that that makes a big difference. Um, but, you know, again, uh, all of that is really how do I avoid needing to constantly detox, I suppose, but in the moments where I do, cause there, there are of course, overwhelming moments, you know, I think again, uh, this is where I start to tap into other side projects, which, uh, to use your word, counterintuitive, right? I, I detox by having yet another project, but these are projects that aren't for anyone but me, you know, and that often are never even shown to anybody. And I think that that is uh, something that's very helpful for me. When you're switching from one role to another, and there's a certain amount of stuff that comes in from one role to the other. And especially when it's on a stressful angle, when there's something happening at one phase that is extremely overwhelming, that it takes up a good amount of your mental space, and then you need to switch to another. 
So in that very moment, what's your self-talk? How do you focus on the other? How do you detox out of something stressful happening? Because you need have another hat to wear. Yeah, you know, this is where I'm going to sound like uh, the character from Moon Knight. But I, uh, I actually have always thought of each of my hats having their own persona. Um, so I, I've always thought of, and, and I hope I don't come across as completely insane, but but maybe I am. Uh, you know, I've always thought of there is a Matthew that is the founder of Very Nice. There is a Matthew that is a professor. And there's a Matthew that has these other miscellaneous interests, you know. And so um, so because of that, I've, I've always had a really easy time actually uh, kind of departing one one persona and entering another persona there's been instances where i've had real like drama that i'm dealing with at work or at that very nice maybe maybe a project uh has exploded or, or i remember one instance our our website got completely hacked um and was sending like fake emails to thousands of people and all of this stuff and i found out about that five minutes before going into class to give a lecture and I told the students at the end and they were like, how did you just give this lecture? We had no idea that anything was wrong. <laughs> so, so I think, you know, by, by really assigning different, different kind of um, people uh, to each of these things that I do, that's helped me a lot. And, and I, I definitely sound insane. I think the context switches are so crazy. Yeah, but it's just something awesome to do. Yeah, for sure. Ideally, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when something gets overwhelming? So the first thing that comes to mind is to make a list that breaks down what actually needs to be done. This is such a, a helpful exercise. You know, a lot of the times I get overwhelmed, others get overwhelmed when there's not a true understanding of the scope of what needs to be accomplished. And so that's the first thing I do, honestly, when, when I'm overwhelmed is I break down what are the actual tasks at hand? And I then tackle each of those. Wow. So it was reading about something on the same lines about when you plan it out, it just removes a certain amount of burden up from you. Yeah, it takes the mystery away. You know, I, I think about how when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark, but I wasn't actually afraid of the dark. I was afraid of what I couldn't see. Right. And I think that you can apply that same theory to most of what we're doing professionally, right? Where it's like, oh my God, I have this huge deliverable due. But what we're not, we're not afraid of the things that we need to do to finish that deliverable. We're afraid of the fact that we don't quite understand how to get there, right? Or we haven't, you know, thought about how uh, we could break this down into steps. So, so I, it's something I definitely believe in doing. I was just rephrasing it. The dark doesn't scare you. It's what you can't see. It's very true. Like we think that there's monsters under the bed we think there's something in the closet you know but the reality is it's just too dark to know what is or isn't there overall what does your day look like your daily detox rituals yeah you know i would say uh, in terms of daily detox rituals there is a few things that i do you know one i mentioned that i'm very interested in, in sort of comic collecting comic art and things like that I find it really uh, relaxing to look at the market trends of what books are selling really well, which ones are not. Um, so I, I tend to get stuck in some YouTube rabbit holes uh, for that, listening to you know podcasts or, or vlogs that are talking about this. Um, the other kind of detox that I'll do if I'm in between or if I'm in a meeting uh, 
is I will draw uh, quite often, you know, during those meetings as well. So, so anything, you know, related to the arts or getting kind of my, my brain moving in a, in a different way uh, is really helpful for me. I love the drawing part. I think that doodling or just drawing when you're thinking about something just somewhere enables you to think more. It does. It does. Yeah. And it's, you know, you're, you're drawing something in a particular moment. I think a lot of the times we forget that when we look at art, you know, in a museum or something like that, we see it as just the object, but the reality is it's the object and the time, right? So this artist, artist created something in a moment. There was something in their mind. There was something happening in their life. They were in a place. And all of that is part of that message that they're trying to convey. But rarely do, you know, does the person that picks it up when it's done, uh, you know, see that. So so a good deal of art creation is for the artist themselves. And I think about that a lot with my drawings, you know, to be honest, is they're subconsciously uh, you know, influenced by conversations I'm having or or how I'm feeling that day or or whatever that might be as well. I love how stuff just becomes a part of your daily ritual without realizing, especially stuff like drawing, detoxing. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and I think that when it does, you know, when this happens without you realizing, that's probably a good indication that that is genuinely helpful for you, right? Like you're not trying to perform this thing or you're not like well it looks like people run so I should probably go run you know you just like do what is organic to you and I I think that that must be more helpful to be honest yeah I think it's the most authentic ritual a little curious what got you into comics in the first place when you were a kid it was probably watching cartoons to be honest you know, I think I, I, I have a lot of kind of fond memories of, of early like Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network days um, and then always uh, drawing the characters that were in the show. So I would always kind of draw those. Um, and then in addition, when I was younger, I was really interested in, in uh, uh, landscape painting, funny enough. So like I would paint a lot of like flowers or mountains or things like that um, on canvas, too. Um, what more recently got me, I think, back into comics, you know, I've been, I mean, you know, I've been collecting them my entire life of just, you know, picking them up, reading them, anything like that. But, um, but during the pandemic, I, uh, I, you know, I had a lot of kind of like free time and I was thinking, what do I want to use the time that I would normally maybe be like in a car or going somewhere to do? And I had decided I wanted to kind of invest in learning more about comics. So I took some, you know, like continuing ed classes online. Um, I attended a lot of different sort of readings that, you know, bookstores would normally have had in person, but now they broadcasted them. So all of a sudden I could, you know, go to like a, a book launch event in New York, even though I was in Los Angeles. So, so yeah, I think all of that kind of rekindled it for me as well, which, which, was really, really wonderful for me. That was absolutely awesome. Uh, what do you say was your favorite comic? It's really hard because there's there's some comics that I really love for the history of them. Um, you know, that would be um, this publisher called EC Comics. They had created things like Mad Magazine, Tales from the Crypt, um, you know, and a bunch of other sort of titles. And they just had some of the most historic artists. These were, this was back in, in the 50s and, 
and so on. Um, and, and so I was, I was very kind of always very influenced in that from a craft standpoint. Um, I would say that from a kind of nostalgic standpoint, always, you know, things like Batman or Wolverine, those were my two favorite uh, heroes when I was a kid, for sure. Love that. Perfect. Jumping to rapid fire, apples or oranges? Oranges. Apple or Android? Apple. Mac or Windows? Mac. One advice that is given very often but is absolutely wrong. Maybe like invest in stocks. One piece of advice that should be given more often. Uh, invest in your passions. One person that you depend on. My wife. Your favorite place in the world. Uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Your favorite artist. Frida Kahlo. Your favorite comic. Batman. Your second favorite comic. You know, I would say The Sculptor by Scott McCloud. You have a billboard in the middle of Los Angeles and you need to put a quote on there. What would it be? Be kind. Your most visited self-talk. Are you happy doing this? Your favorite place in LA? I would say Pizza Nista. Your second favorite place to visit? Oh gosh, uh, anywhere in Eastern Europe. Perfect. Thank you so much for making time. This was so much fun. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. You just heard an episode on the Detox Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform, whether it is Spotify or iTunes. We are there.